This is episode 499 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Deadly Viruses Part 2. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by Audible. Now, Audible Books allows you to listen to the best books when you are on the go. I love to listen to podcasts and audiobooks and learning while I stay busy doing other things, especially getting ready in the morning and driving. So right now, Audible is offering two free audiobook downloads when you join Audible for a trial period. And if you choose not to stay with Audible after the trial period, you still get to keep the audiobooks. Now for more information, click the link in the show notes or go to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com forward slash audible. Hey guys, before we jump into our article of the podcast, I wanted to remind you that I am doing a survey of faith in preparedness. And so just asking people out there what they think about, you know, Christians that are in preparedness or preppers, you know, hey, how do you engage with your faith? And so there is a link in the show notes or over at the episode, episode 499, where you can go and click on and answer a few questions. And that would be very helpful. So I would greatly appreciate that. And so if you do that, uh, thank you again. And then also don't forget the Weekly Watchman is also linked in the show notes, at least for today, and then it'll be off tomorrow. So let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from doomandbloom.net. If you remember last week, we read The Deadly Viruses Part 1, and I just think, you know, reading Part 2 and there's a Part 3, I think it's very important. Uh, Again, medical preparedness, I think, is one of the big topics or fields that we can really focus in on because if there ever was a grid down situation, we need to know how to, well, first of all, we need to know what we're looking for, and then we need to know what we can do. Now, there's only going to be so much you can do because we you're not doctors, we don't have modern medicine and all that kind of stuff, but there are things that we can do, and we want to make sure that we can help our families. I mean, can you imagine having to deal with a loved one who is sick and who is, uh, you know, has one of these viruses or is sick in some other way and just not being able to do anything for them. I would hate to be in that position. So I would want to know as much as I could and I would want to be able to help them as much as I could. So that's why I think that's, I mean, that's why I always focus on medical preparedness or I talk about that pretty often. I think it's something that we really need to focus on. And so when the grid is down, if there is ever, you know, we ever, go into a the end of the world as we know it situation, a lot of the viruses that right now are, aren't in play will come into play uh, here in the United States or just in you know our first world countries where a lot of this stuff has been eradicated or taken care of, or you go to the doctor and it's taken care of with some medicine. It's going to be something that we have to deal with. So let's go ahead and jump into this article again, coming to us from doomandbloom.net. Infectious disease is of major concern in good times or bad, and the family medic must be able to identify some of the deadliest. 
Having just written a book about infectious diseases and the antibiotics that treat them, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, The Layman's Guide to Available Antibacterials in Austere Settings, we've done our research on some of the worst illnesses that can occur even in countries with advanced medical systems. There are infections out there, however, that are often fatal and can't be treated with antibiotics. These are usually viral in nature. Last time, we talked about HIV, hemorrhagic fever like Ebola and its relatives, plus the rodent-borne hantavirus. In this part of our series on deadly viruses, we'll go over a few well-known diseases, but also cover some that you may not have heard about. All right, the first one up is the rotavirus. The World Health Organization reports that this virus kills more than half a million children annually worldwide. They even believe that every child on the planet has been infected at least once with it. You get it by ingesting bad food and water or touching surfaces contaminated with infected feces. Once in the body, rotavirus infects the cells that line the gut. It emits a toxin which causes symptoms in two or three days that can last a week or more. They include severe watery diarrhea, fever, vomiting, and abdominal pain cramps. Coupled with a loss of appetite, children rapidly go into a state of dehydration. If fluids are not replaced quickly, they may succumb to the illness. This is the most common cause of death in less developed areas. Now, although a vaccine exists for rotavirus, even vaccinated children may get sick multiple times. Future infections, however, tend to be milder. The virus is rarely lethal to adults. Symptoms of dehydration, especially in children and infants, may be hard to discern, but they include decreased volume of urine, usually darker than normal, dry mouth, feeling dizzy when upright, skin that tints up when stretched, crying with few or no tears, and unusual sleepiness or fussiness. All right, so next up is rabies. Now, much more well-known than rotavirus is rabies, a virus transmitted when an infected animal scratches or bites another animal or a human. Saliva from an infected animal has a heavy viral load, which can also spread infection if it splatters into the eyes, mouth, or nose of someone nearby. Globally, dogs are the most common animal involved, accounting for more than 99% of rabies in many countries. In the Americas, however, you might be surprised to know that bat bites are the most common source of rabies infections in humans. Less than 5% of cases are from dogs. Rodents are often blamed, but they're very rarely infected with rabies. Interestingly, birds given the rabies virus via injection seem to experience no illness whatsoever. Rabies caused more than 17,000 deaths worldwide in 2015, mostly in Africa and Asia. The period between infections and the first symptoms, the incubation period, is typically one to three months in humans, but can be much longer. This, along with a death rate of almost 100% if untreated, is the reason why humans suspected of being exposed are given a series of vaccinations and antibodies as soon as possible. Symptoms usually begin as fever and headache, but the illness progresses to affect the nervous system, causing paralysis in many cases. Rabies causes significant alterations in mental status, including confusion, agitation, anxiety, paranoia, hallucinations, and general delirium. One unusual sign of rabies is hydrophobia, the fear of water. 
Because of difficulty swallowing, despite severe thirst, water seems to panic victims. It's at this point that patients produce a large amount of saliva, making them appear to foam at the mouth. Death usually occurs within a few days after symptoms appear. There are a couple of different forms of rabies. Hydrophobia is commonly associated with what they call furious rabies. That's 80% of those infected. The remaining 20% mostly exhibit signs of paralysis or paralytic rabies. And numbness, this form, doesn't cause hydrophobia. So guys, when we were talking and I was mentioning here at the very beginning of the podcast about, you know, the end of the world as we know it, one of the things with rabies, why it would spread so quickly, I think, this is just my opinion, is that they may, there's an effort to stem rabies in wildlife. And so I did a quick search before I got on and started recording the podcast. And just here in Texas, they do, um, you know, they drop oral packets of rabies vaccinations within food. So wild animals out there will eat it and they will, um, you know, they're, they're vaccinated. So as I was reading it here, it says, Doses of rabies vaccine are contained in small plastic packets coated with fish meal crumbles to make it attractive for wildlife to eat. And so that is done by the state governments or the federal governments um, that, that do that to make sure that wild animals, you know, rabies doesn't run wild in wild animals and then eventually affect, you know, humans and dogs and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But if we were in a grid down situation, the poop has hit the fan, the end of the world as we know it, whatever, those types of things will stop. And that's one reason why rabies will, there'll be a resurgence and you will see it running wild in wildlife. And then also eventually getting into, you know, affecting our dogs and then possibly even us as well. So that's one of those there that it's kind of, I think I saw a documentary on that, how they, uh, they provide that rabies vaccine and it just kind of always stuck with me that if they weren't doing that, rabies would be way more widespread. All right, so let's go ahead and go to the next one. It's smallpox. In 1980, the World Health Assembly declared the world free of smallpox. You may wonder why then I would list smallpox in this article. Simply put, there are a lot of diseases that aren't common now that will become common if we are thrown off the grid due to some major disaster. It pays to know how to identify them. Before its theoretical eradication, humans battled smallpox for thousands of years and the disease killed one in three of those infected. Survivors were left with permanent scars and sometimes blindness. Smallpox could be transmitted through the air or by contact with victims or contaminated items. Mortality rates were far higher outside of Europe where smallpox was endemic. People elsewhere had little contact with the virus and so had no natural immunity to it. Historical accounts estimate that 90% of the native population in some areas of the Americas died from smallpox introduced by European explorers. Smallpox killed 300 million people just in the last century. After an incubation period of 7 to 17 days, a series of flu-like symptoms appear suddenly. You'll see fever, headache, fatigue, aches and pains, severe back pain, and vomiting. As time progresses, a wave of flat red spots appears on the face, arms, and legs, 
spreading to the torso and elsewhere, even the oral cavity over time. Many become small blisters which fill with pus and scab over, falling off a week or so later. Deep pitted scars were often seen in patients that recovered from the illness. So, chickenpox versus smallpox. WebMD describes the difference in appearance between the sores in smallpox versus, versus chickenpox as follows. Chickenpox sores show up at different times in different areas. They're mostly on the stomach, chest, and back, and rarely on the palms or the soles of your feet. Smallpox sores appeared all over the body at the same time, mostly on the face, arms, and legs, and sometimes on the palms and soles, and all looked the same. So guys, just like all, you know, I always mention Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy do a great job of adding a lot of graphics. And so there are pictures of a chickenpox rash versus a smallpox rash if you're interested. And then, of course, a lot of other graphics as well in this article. All right. So next up is the dengue or the dengue virus. And you can say them both ways. I actually looked it up. I'm going to say it, uh, I guess the American way is the dengue virus. So the dengue virus is a pathogen disease-causing organism spread by mosquito bites. It first appeared in Asia but has spread to every tropical or subtropical part of the planet. Dengue is cause, causes mild illness in tons of millions every year in the worst cases. However, a hemorrhagic fever develops which has a 20% death rate. Once bitten by an infected mosquito, people will begin to feel sick four to seven days later. You will likely see high fever, headache, pain in muscles and joints, nausea and vomiting, swollen glands, and rash. Luckily, most victims will recover completely within a week. In severe cases, the circulatory system become damaged and blood clotting factors are depleted. These unlucky patients will present with worsening abdominal pain and vomiting, spontaneous bleeding under the skin and from the nose or gums, blood in the urine, vomit or bowel movements, and difficulty breathing. Dengue virus is related to the Zika virus, which affected the brain development of fetuses in pregnant women bitten by infected mosquitoes. Guys, you remember when Zika was such a bad thing and you mean you heard about it all the time and then all of a sudden it just seems like it's kind of disappeared? Anyway, so uh, that's, uh, that's one of them there. And then next up is yellow fever. Yellow fever is a virus related to both Zika and dengue in most cases. It produces no symptoms at all. In a minority, however, symptoms very similar to those listed above for dengue virus occur. Most will recover fully in a week or so. In perhaps one in seven, however, a more severe form of the disease occurs which affect the liver and other organs. These victims feel better for a short time before relapsing, and you will see the return of high fever, yellowing of the skin and eyes, spontaneous bleeding as in dengue, shock, and organ failure. Now, you may think there isn't a deadlier set of viruses than what we've described so far in this series, but there is. It's called influenza. More on the flu next time. And guys, I did, just when talking about influenza, I did an article looking at um, just herbal and organic ways of taking care of the flu just because it's one of those things that always comes up and it's one of those things that we need to keep an eye on. And I've just been monitoring the CDC. There's a map 
where you can just kind of monitor how bad the flu is getting. And it has gotten pretty bad. Um, the, the worst, uh, I guess, color would be brown. And that just lets you see that it's widespread. I mean, when I, when I wrote that article or when I put that article together, I mean, there were some states that had no activity and some of it was sporadic, right? But now almost every state is, uh, is brown or at least regional. And there's a couple here, maybe in like the District of Columbia, that's saying that it's sporadic in the U.S. Virgin Islands. But for the most part, the United States, um, you know, is, is, is pretty severe. Things are pretty bad out there. And so uh, I'll, I'll link to that article if you're interested, because it was a list of articles that dealt with the flu in herbal ways and with essential oils and and all these different ways that you can do it naturally instead of, you know, going in and getting the flu shot or, you know, going in and going to the doctor and getting, you know, all souped up on medicine and stuff like that. And some of it, of course, was preventative. So I'm going to go ahead and link to that and then we will get ready for the next, uh, I guess the next article in this series, right? Deadly viruses, which um, Dr. Bones alluded here, that is going to be influenza. And so we'll touch base on that one because that is a really big one. That that one comes around every year and can be very dangerous to the young and to the old and it, really to everyone. It, it's just, it can be a bad, bad deal. So uh, we'll we'll do that one next week because I think it's very important to have that information. Well, guys, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes so that you have it. And again, like I said, I always recommend going and checking out the graphics and looking at the pictures. It just kind of sometimes it brings it home for you as how important this topic is. So look for that in the show notes and uh, go check that out. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 499. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And if you find value in the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would review us on iTunes or Stitcher or any of the other podcast networks that allow you to review the podcast. It's just a real big blessing to us and lets other people know that you know the podcast is valuable and that they should take a listen. And so again, if you're out there and sharing the, you know, the podcast with other people and letting them know that it is something that maybe they should listen to, that's another reason why we would be totally grateful and uh, just appreciate that so much. So don't forget, if you are new, you can come on over to the podcast website, and that way you can link to all the different networks that we are involved with, and you can subscribe and never miss another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. And then take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.